Hello, folks, and welcome to this latest episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording just a couple hours after Duke makes it back to the Final Four. We are going to Indianapolis, baby. We beat Gonzaga 66-52. to And as always, I am joined by my co-host. Say what's up, Jason. Oh, what's up? What's up? Headed to Indy, baby. Yes, Indianapolis, ladies and gentlemen. And also on the phone, probably traveling somewhere in the desert of Arizona, uh, we have Sam Klein. Sam, what's up? Uh, I am somewhere between Phoenix, Arizona and the New Mexico border. Um, I wanted to give a special shout out to my friend Tyler, Zach, and Rebecca, who are bearing with me uh, on this call because they are sitting in the car while we record the podcast. So thanks, guys, um, for not being really annoying during this. Hey, you know what? They're, they're probably going to get on the podcast at some point, and, and you know what? It, it, it'll be okay. I, I think we can allow it just this one time, especially with, uh, with all we got going on. So I think we should get right into it. Uh, Gonzaga, um, we, we came in. They were the two seed. We were the one seed, and it was a battle from start to finish. We had a couple runs, but at the end, we kind of pulled away. Uh, I will start with you, Jason. Give me your takeaways from this game. Uh, well, I, I mean, you have to love a game where we ended on a 13 to one run over the final four and a half minutes. That's a, that's a pretty good thing. Uh, my biggest takeaway from the game was the defense. Um, coach K said in the postgame press conference, he said, our defense, the last 16 minutes wasn't good. It was spectacular. And he was absolutely right. Duke's D in this tournament has been stunning all season long. We knew that this was a great offensive team. The, the, turnaround that they've shown on defense prior to the tournament Ken Palm had them ranked like 60 something on defense which is okay you know it's fine it's good it's it's not great um they are now up to number 17 in Ken Pomeroy's defensive rankings and think about how great your D has to be to jump 40 spots after he's already after his computer has already seen 30 plus games of your season and then over the course of four games he decides that the, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. It's tremendously impressive. Uh, what a what a great, wonderful game. I'm going to start to get to some statistical stuff. Um, I'm going to steal it from you, Donald. I apologize, but both Justice and Jill had zero zeros. They did. Yes. Uh, one of the great stats that I noticed was so Matt Jones, and I'm sure we're going to hear his his name mentioned several times on this podcast. A guy who uh, you know not a lot of people have, were, was talking about prior to this game uh, hit six out of ten of his shots. Um, there was only one other player in the entire game who hit more than fifty percent of his shots. Uh, Karnowski for for Gonzaga was two out of three, but Matt hitting six out of ten. No one else on Duke even hit fifty percent of their shots. Matt came up huge with six out of 10. And then the stat that everyone's going to talk about turnovers. How, how do you go through an entire game with two turnovers? I'm not going to count the third turnover, the silly one that happened when we just let the shot cock expire with two seconds left in the game. We went the entire game with two turnovers. That's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's crazy ball handling. Um, Quinn and Tyus played all 40 minutes of the game. And Quinn, by the way, just destroyed Kevin Pangos, who's supposed to be one of the best guards in the country. Kevin Pangos had zero assists. He had three turnovers. He didn't hit a three-pointer. Quinn massacred him. Uh, it, it was it was just a fabulous – what a fun, wonderful game. And I'm going to close with Justice Winslow. I th Justice Winslow had five rebounds. I think every single one of those five rebounds was unbelievably impressive with a ton of effort behind it. Um, the rise up three. 
that he hit with two minutes and 50 seconds left, which capped a personal seven to zero scoring run by him. He was the only guy who did it. The game was 53 to 51. And then Justice scored seven points in a row over the span of about two and a half minutes to turn a two point game into a nine point game. And it was pretty close to over at that point. Uh, wow. Wow. Uh, so much to love. Donald traveling in the car with your friends. I'm sorry, uh, Sam traveling in the car with your friends. What, what, what's your takeaways on this baby? Yeah. I mean, I obviously, I, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I think that Pat Jones is the star of the game today, especially given what his role normally is, um, which is that, you know, he's been starting recently, but he's not been relied on to make a lot of big shots. Uh, and he made so many of those today, um, you know, really like stepping forward uh, in, you know, out of the role that he, the sort of minimal role that he normally has to play. Um, he was really the catalyst today on offense. Uh, and, and inevitably, uh, we think back to the last time we played an Elite Eight game uh, in Houston and a shooting guard who normally came off the bench for us, um, who, you know, would, would contribute in spurts was Andre Dawkins. Matt Jones played Andre Dawkins' part today uh, against Gonzaga, the same way that Dawkins did a few years ago against Baylor. Uh, so I thought that that was really impressive. As you mentioned, Justice Winslow was so strong uh, in, in every aspect of the game, especially with those dagger, uh, that dagger three that he hit. Uh, sort of reminiscent of, of Tyus Jones's uh, similar three-pointer that he hit against Virginia earlier this year. Just the, the, the cool confidence um, to think that that big shot uh, was, was enormous for him. You know, we talked on Friday night about how uh, Justice appeared to have overcome the pressure of playing in his hometown, and he showed up again today. I think I saw that Tyus Jones actually won most outstanding player for the South region. Uh, that's insane. Justice Winglow was the was the best player in the region. He was awesome last weekend in our opening game. He was he was definitely Duke's best player across the two games in Houston this week. Um, and you know he 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 was the he was the driver for this team the whole way through on, on this run to the Final Four. And going into the tournament, you might not have thought that that was going to be the case. So it's really impressive for him. I think that a lot of folks have pointed out that I think his draft stock has probably gone up a lot. Uh, you know maybe he's a top five pick now unfortunately for us um but he's done it by uh you know bringing us to indianapolis the final four back for the first time uh 2010 and then you touched on quinn cook um what an awesome job playing defense today against pangos we saw a similar sort of effort uh from him against marcus page uh in that first carolina game quinn cook i think at this point we can probably say has had the most incredible you know senior breakout campaign that we've seen from a Duke player, maybe ever. Uh, you know, we, we love talking about Brian Zubek and, and what a turnaround he made in 2010, you know, for the last few weeks of the season to um, to sort of catapult Duke uh, from a good shooting team and, you know, like a good all-around team into a really solid team that was able to get all those rebounds and everything. Uh, the transformation that Queen Cook has gone through this year has been spectacular and, and I think more impressive than what Zubek did in 2010. Uh, and there was a lot of motion for him after the game, obviously, this is the first. Uh, this is the first time he's earned a banner uh, as a member of the Duke program. So, uh, yeah, and and we know that he's an emotional guy. We know that we know that he's got this great relationship with the coaching staff and with Nolan Smith. Um, so, you know, everything is sort of riding with Quinn and I. And it seems like the players are, are feeding off of him and his intensity and his energy because um, he knows that this is it for him and and he gets to keep rolling on. So, a, a really impressive performance day against the Gonzaga team. I think that. You know, Jason, especially on Friday night, said, you know, how worried he was about about us playing them. Um, and Gonzaga really 
you know, their best wins this year were, were only to were only to OK team. Um, they didn't. They never showed. They never were able to break through against the top tier opponent. And Duke made sure that that stayed the way it is. Um, and now we have a Final Four that's Coach K, uh, Tom Izzo, Bo Ryan, and John Calipari. I think I saw on Twitter from ESPN that this is the um, of all the Final Fours, the like total Final Four appearances for the participating coaches is the highest it's ever been. So uh, as great as the Elite Eight was, the Final Four is is also great. Um, we're going to see a couple of really fantastic games between Duke and Michigan State, and then Wisconsin and Kentucky. But we'll I, I guess we'll wrap back to that. Um, and, and preview the final four. Donald, do you want to uh, finish on thoughts from the Gonzaga game? Yeah. So I, I you go, you both made great points and, and stole a lot of what I was going to say, but a, a couple of key things that I did want to point out, um, Jason, you mentioned the 13 to one run that we had over the last five forty three of the game. Um, and it was great to see that our defense closed it out. I, I believe Gonzaga actually didn't have a field goal over the last six forty three of the game. Um, the last two points of the game were free throws. So for us to do that uh, against a great team that that loves to shoot and actually wasn't shooting well from three-point range when they normally are, um, that is testament to our defense. That's a testament to us really seeing the moment in front of us and going to get it. And that's something that a lot of teams can't do, and that's why they don't get over the hump. This team got over the hump because they saw the finish line. They saw the, the destination uh, Indianapolis, and they went and got it. They didn't let it come to them. Even when they decided to stall ball for a couple of minutes, they really were going after it. And I think that was the key to us really inking out this win uh, today. We only had uh, two turnovers, as you said, Jason. They had 13. Um, so that means that's another testament to our defense. We had eight steals to their only one. Um, and I believe that was in the first half. So we, we were doing really good things on defense, and that spurred our offense. One thing that I – and, you know, if looking at the season that we've had, the stat kind of is mind-boggling. We were 16 of 19 from free throws to their six of nine. Early in the season, we were, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how free throw shooting would be our downfall in the tournament if there was going to be a weak link. It was our free throw shooting. We have performed excellent at the free throw line uh, in Houston and also in uh, uh, in the first rounds in um uh, in Charlotte. So that was really, really good to see that, you know, when we have the game on the line, we're, we're getting to the line and we're making our free throws. Even job was making our free throws. The one air ball, notwithstanding um, he was, you know, very decent from the line as well. So I think those are great stats to carry to Indianapolis. And, you know, I can't harp enough about Quinn cook, the guy, you know, you could see how bad he wanted it. You could see the emotion, not just from him, but from the players and even coach K when Coach K deliberately did the, you know, 35-second uh, shot clock violation to give him a standing ovation and, and take him out of the game to a big hug. It was really great to see. I'm glad that that guy has a necklace, um, you know, that is made of uh, made of his laurels, uh, you know, as, as Christian Leitner would say. So I think that was really awesome to see, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this team in Indianapolis. Um, do you guys have anything else before we wrap up this uh, Gonzaga recap? Yeah, I got a couple other things I'd like to mention just very quickly. First of all, a name we haven't mentioned yet uh, is Emil Jefferson, who statistically did not have a great game. He played 20 minutes. He had four rebounds. That's the only thing he did. Um, but that's ignoring what he did at the under, other end of the floor. Earlier in the game, Gonzaga was dumping the ball into Kyle Wilcher, and he was 
using his size to destroy us, which is something I was really, really worried about in the game preview. I talked about the fact that Winslow at 6'6 was going to have to match up with 6'10 Wiltshire, and Wiltshire was going to take him inside, and I was scared of that. And that is exactly what happened. And I thought Gonzaga was just going to continue to do that all game long until Emil came in sort of midway through the first half, and he really frustrated Wiltshire, and they went away from that for the rest of the game, and I don't know why. Mark Few is a very good coach, and I'm sure there were things going on that in my fandom watching the game I couldn't see, but what I observed was they weren't trying to go inside to Wiltshire against a much smaller man the way they had earlier in the game. I think it was a big, big mistake on their, on their part, but big props to Emil Jefferson, who was the guy who made them reverse that strategy around and do something different. Um, uh, another quick statistical thing, every single one of our starters had an assist. Every single one of our starters had a steal. Every single one of our starters had at least three rebounds. And we were one missed free throw by Jalil from having all five starters score in double figures. It was a team effort. And I know later on, we're going to talk about who the MVP of the game was. And I, I think I wouldn't be at all surprised if we have three different ones um, because it was such a wonderful, wonderful team effort. And then the last thing I wanted to mention about this, and then we can move on. Coach K now has 12 Final Fours. Coach K now has tied the legendary Wizard of Westwood, John Wooden, with the most Final Fours in history. Um, but I thought K said something really great in the post-game conference. They asked him about it, and he said, guys, my past is not important. I'm in the moment right now. It's about these kids. It's not about what I've done in the past. I love my team. They're a pleasure to be with, and they're taking me to Indy. And I just love that Coach K sort of in one of those moments where he could have basked a bit, basked a bit in the glory of, of what his career has meant and what he has done, things that no other coach has done, or in the case of Final Fours, thing that only one other coach has done. And instead, he's like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm interested in talking about these kids right now. And you could see the love for his team on his face. And it's just, it's a great thing. It, you know, I feel like I need to give a big hug to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well said. And you know what? I remember, you know, I was watching the game with some friends today and uh, we were trying not to be the ones to jinx that we were getting close to Indy. So with about a minute left, when Matt Jones stole the ball and ran, and ran the length of the court and laid it in, you saw Coach K jump up and down, and he turned to his to look at his family in the stands and said, we're going to Indianapolis. And I think at that point, when you see Coach K, not even breathing a sigh of relief, celebrating, you could tell how much he wanted it for his players. You could tell how much this team means to him. And like you said, I was watching the press conference too, and he was very in the moment. He was not ready to talk about his past. He was ready to celebrate with his players. And I, I think that's wonderful thing to see and you can tell how much it means to every single member of that Duke staff from the players to the managers. I think it was outstanding. Uh, Sam, did you have anything else to wrap up? Yeah. Um, uh, Jason sort of started alluding to it when talking about Wilcher. Um, but once again, Duke managed to get a team that has a number of, of opposing big men uh, into foul trouble without, you know, Okafor and Jefferson and Winslow getting into foul trouble. Um, it, you know, we, we managed to do this every game, uh, and I don't we talk about it enough that uh, our guys don't really get into foul trouble that much. Uh, and hopefully we can keep that up, but, but we, we got, I think, Luke Karnowski who had three uh, fouls at halftime. Um, Sabonis did. Uh, 
or Sabonis did. Karnowski ended up, I think, with four fouls. Um, so we 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 managed to attack the basket in a way that um, that you know puts them in a in a position that that where they're going to have to you know sit guys. They had to play the you know they had to play that one extra big kid. I don't remember what his name was um, towards the end of the first half out of necessity because they uh, um, you know because they were out of guys and they didn't want to and they didn't want to get further foul trouble. Um, so that was really impressive. And then we mentioned about Quinn Cook um, and sort of what an emotional, uh, you know, experience this has been for him. Uh, our friend Laura Keeley posted a, a photo I saw that I think is going to run in the news and observe it. It's a picture of Quinn um, after the game, and he's resting his head on Nate James' enormous chest. Uh, I can't tell if he's crying or if he's just sort of overcome with emotion, but all the assistant coaches are around him and, and looking at him and, and it, it's like it, it's such a beautiful and incredible thing. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's move on from that and and go to the final four. How about it? Let's do it. Um, you know, to to briefly recap, you know, I thought we had uh, we talked about the Elite Eight games. I thought they were all fantastic games. Even the games that we were saying were going to be kind of stinkers, like Louisville, Michigan State. That turned out to be an incredible game that went to overtime. But we do have our four final four teams uh, in the Elite Eight. Kentucky narrowly by the skin of their teeth, escapes uh, with a victory over Notre Dame. And Wisconsin actually was pretty solid in, in beating Arizona, a tough Arizona team. And then on our side, like I said, in overtime, uh, Michigan State is heading back to the Final Four again. They beat uh, Louisville in overtime. And so we have our matchups on Saturday at 6.09. We will be taking on Michigan State with the second game being Wisconsin and Kentucky in a rematch of last year's Final Four, and I believe it's the third time since 1974 that we have had a rematch in consecutive years in the Final Four. So uh, let's give before we zero in on Michigan State, Sam, give me your thoughts on this Final Four. It was awesome. Uh, or I, I get well, the Final Four is awesome. The Elite Eight was great. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you guys um, at what point did you think that Kentucky was going to beat Notre Dame? Um, because I wasn't sure about it until Jeremy Grant missed, or uh, Jeremy Grant missed his last shot, right? That shot look was on, except it was just too long. But like from the camera angle, it looked like it was on the money. And I remember being yeah. in, a, in a bar, and everybody was basically saying, "It's in, it's in," and it just it was just too long. But it was it looked great until it didn't fall. Yeah, I um, I, I thought that that Kentucky Notre Dame game was great. Notre Dame almost pulled off the upset, and they they definitely played well enough too. And they didn't do it in any of the way that, that any of us thought um, they would beat Kentucky, which was by shooting over them. Um, they took it to the hole at them. Uh, Grant and Connaughton were, were awesome against them. Um, I think that, you know, obviously Kentucky's still undefeated, but Notre Dame showed that you don't have to be as big as Kentucky to run with Kentucky for 40 minutes. And, uh, and I'm very interested to see how Wisconsin attacks them because, you know, Wisconsin is, is really an elite team, uh, especially on offense. And, and they should be able to move the ball well against Kentucky. That's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, so I, I, I thought that Kentucky-Notre Dame game was just incredible. Um, I also wanted to point out, we're, we're looking at Michigan State, um, and Jason mentioned Tay getting to his 12th Final Four. Tom Izzo just got to his 7th Final Four. Um, that dude, you know, if, if Coach K had, the, had the, the magic dust in like the late 80s and early 90s, Tom Izzo has it now. Uh, they get to March, and... and it seems like every year Michigan State knows exactly what they have to do to win games, even if it's going to be ugly. Uh, so I, I would not be surprised to see time is creeping up on that record, um, in you know in, in in a few years. But 
but I, I really enjoyed the Elite Eight. I think we, we talked a lot about, about what, you know, what great matchups we were going to get, all the games delivered. And, and now we're looking ahead to a Final Four that features three of the teams that have been playing in the Champions Classic the last few years, uh, Duke, Michigan State, Kentucky. Obviously, Duke and Michigan State played earlier this year in that event. Um, and Wisconsin, who, who, you know, the last few years under Bo Ryan has basically been on that same level as, as these other programs. Uh, you know, CBS, the NCAA, and whoever have got to be thrilled with, with the teams they got in the Final Four. They're all really interesting. They all have uh, known coaches and characters on all the teams that, that people want to see and, and uh, you know, future high draft picks. The whole thing is just going to be totally nuts. I know that a, a bunch of my friends are, are trying to go to Indianapolis. They're looking at tickets right now. And it's like, you can't get them. Um, because all the Michigan State and Kentucky fans, I'm sure, are like, well, we can, you know, drive down real quick. It's not, not so hard to get to Indianapolis, maybe even for the Wisconsin fans, too. Uh, it's going to be a total scene up there uh, next weekend. I would love to be able to go, but I, I don't think I'm going to be able to pull it off. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited for this Final Four. Did we want to we want to talk specifically about the matchup with Michigan State, or do we want to, were we, were we wrapping the rest of the tournament? I wasn't sure what the direction well, let's get Jason's thoughts on on both the Elite Eight games and and the Final Four games, and then we'll sure. get into Michigan State. Jason, all right, good stuff. Yeah. Go, Jason. Uh, so, uh, the, the, my big takeaway from the Final Four is that um, if you'd asked everyone back in November or back in the preseason, um, or even as late as you know mid December or so, who are the three best teams in the country? Everyone would have said Duke, Wisconsin, and Kentucky. We got three of the teams that everyone has known all season long. And, yeah, Virginia crept in there for a little while. I I think Virginia was in that conversation until Justin Anderson got hurt. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, but Virginia was really in that conversation, you know, once we hit late December, early January. I'm talking beginning of the season from day one. It really felt to me like it was these three teams. um, And, you know, that's not putting – Virginia down at all. Um, and, and there've been other teams in the conversation, but, but you know, the three one seeds that we got who are playing in the final four are, are the three teams that I think, you know, people probably thought all season long had the best chance of making the final four. And then the fourth team of course is Michigan state, who, as you pointed out, always plays great at tourney time, brings it in March. Tom Izzo is Mr. March at this point. Um, I, the, the, the games were fabulous. It was as good a weekend of final eight games, I think, as we've probably ever seen. The, the Duke game was really the worst game of the lot, and and it, that was a game that with five minutes left was a two-point game until Justice Winslow decided to take it over and win it on his own. Um, uh, the, the game that, that I paid the most attention to, aside from Duke, was the Notre Dame-Kentucky game. I've been telling you guys for weeks I've been dying for that game to happen. It, it, you are absolutely right, Sam. It was amazing to see that Notre Dame did not attack Kentucky the way we thought they would. They, they actually beat Kentucky on the boards. They beat them with offensive rebounding, which was really surprising and really great. But let's face it, Darian Grant decided that he wanted to take over the game and play hero ball. And it was a bad decision. Um, he, he, he probably missed, there were probably three or four possessions in the final five minutes where I think Darian Grant took uh, a bad shot or, or just wound the clock down so much that he had to take a shot. And that was not Notre Dame's way of playing the entire season or earlier in the game. Notre Dame was succeeding by moving the ball around a tremendous amount, making the extra pass and getting layups out of it. And and they moved it so well that Kentucky's size and ability to block shots didn't affect things. Um, then Jerrion Grant, and he's had a great, great, great career and a great season. Uh, you know, I guess maybe he deserved the chance to, to have his dagger moment and win it on his own. 
but none of the daggers went in and and they ended up losing by the way so one of the funniest things um i i saw in the wake of that game a a beat writer a, a sports writer um from new york tweeted and said does this mean that notre dame can beat the knicks too because everyone's been talking about how Kentucky's better, better than I NBA. I, five, I, I think I get five players outside and, and beat the Knicks right now. Yeah, right. that's probably true. Um, I, by the way, sent a note to some friends of mine after the game, and I said, you know, congratulations. And among these friends were several Kentucky fans. I said, hey, congrats to Kentucky. Now you know what it's like to play the third best team in the ACC. Um, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. but they were the ACC champions. They were the ACC champions. Well, yeah, one of the guys came back at me and said that, and I said, I said, oh, yeah, you're right. That that one little three-day tournament over the end, but throughout the whole season, they were clearly the third-best team in the ACC. But, hey, hey, way to go. You were better than the third-best team in the ACC by, you know, the skin of your teeth because I'm just by one dumb By one dumb last possession. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just so sick of these Kentucky folks who are insisting that this team is a legendary all-timer. They have a tough road. They Wisconsin is going to be a very, very difficult opponent. Um, I don't know how they're going to be able to guard Frank Kaminsky because whoever they put on him, whether it's Towns or, or Cauley, I don't care who it is, he's going to drag them outside and then he's going to bring the ball, you know, then he's going to penetrate on them and stuff or he's going to shoot over them. He's a nightmare matchup for them. And I don't, I don't think Kentucky matches up very well with Wisconsin at all. Um, it's going to be, you know, I'm not surprised CBS picked that game for the late game which is sort of the featured spot. Usually Duke is in that featured spot, but I'm not at all surprised to pick that game because it's going to be a absolute battle. Um, and uh, Donald, why don't you talk a little bit about the grade eight, um, the final eight, and, and then the final four. And, and then I guess we got to do a more extensive preview of Michigan State, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, one stat that I heard last night, this was during the Notre Dame-Kentucky game, was that if Notre Dame had won the game, and we won today, obviously. It would have been the first time ever that a team had gone to the Final Four with three teams that they had beaten during the regular season. And I thought that was an incredible stat. It shows the caliber of opponents that we've been playing over the, over the year, the, the, you know, how the ACC has been, and just the fact that we've you know, beaten some great teams this year. And, and I think, like you said, Jason, the, the three teams at the beginning of the season, uh, Virginia notwithstanding during the middle, um, the three teams that everyone figured would be there at the end would be us, Kentucky, and, and Wisconsin, and we're at that point. And Michigan State, it, I, Izzo is probably the, the I'll, I'll call him the second best March coach ever uh, behind Coach K. Like this, it's ridiculous. Every year, we you, you try to figure find a way to count them out, and they somehow just keep laughing at you, and they're still dancing too. So um, that's going to be a really good matchup uh, on Saturday. I, I I'm really anxious to see. Uh, the Wisconsin Kentucky matchup as well. Um, this entire year, um, most of the you know main college basketball pundits have said there are two teams in the country who have a good chance of beating Kentucky at their best, and that when Wisconsin was one of them, we were the other um, that they had been mentioning up until the tournament started when Arizona was getting a lot of play. Um, so Wisconsin, you know, Kentucky's going to have to earn earn this. So and and these four teams, uh, these other teams in the tournament uh, that are left. Um, aren't going to give them an easy out. So they, you know, Notre Dame was kind of a preview of what they should expect to see, but Wisconsin, I think, is better than than Notre Dame, and they have, like you said, they have the size to match up with them. And Frank Kaminsky and uh, Sam Decker, I think, would be is going to be, you know, uh, a very good uh, battle with them and and the inside. So let's get into Michigan State. 
Um, as you guys said, uh, we beat them back in the Champions Classic back in November. That was also in Indianapolis, but not at Lucas Oil Field. We beat them 81 to 71 at the, uh, I don't know, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, I think is what it's called now, uh, where the Indiana Pacers play. But they are a different team than we saw back in November. But thankfully, we are also a different team. So I'm going to start with Sam. Sam, what are you what are you looking for in this game with Michigan State? You know, what what are you seeing here? Well, Michigan State, we know um, traditionally likes to muck it up. Um, you know, as we talked about their game with Virginia, uh, you know, they 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 want to make the game as dirty as possible. Um, they want the ball inside. They want to they want to move it around. Um, and they, they want to make you uncomfortable. So Duke's going to have to be strong, uh, moving the ball on the perimeter. And when Okafor gets his looks, um, he's got to take them. Uh, he's got to take them aggressively and strongly. Uh, one of the things that I think we've seen from him recently that is a concern is that he's getting the ball and he's letting the double team come to him, and then he's getting frustrated by it. Uh, we especially saw that uh, in the game on Friday night against Utah, and. You know, Michigan State is going to want to attack him, and they're going to want to foul him and, and force him to shoot free throws. And you know, we saw today that he he airballed a free throw. Uh, so Duke's got to move the ball well around the perimeter. They have to shoot well, uh, and Okafor has to be aggressive. He can't he can't let the defense come to him before he before he decides to make a play. Uh, so and you know, we know that Michigan State has has playmakers on the other side. Valentine has been great for them this year, uh, but I, I think the key is the ball movement for Duke. If if Duke can score. Maybe it's seventy points. There's there's a there's a amount. Maybe you guys can guess what it is. Um, there's a number of points that you get to score to be able to win this game. Where if they get to sixty five or seventy, um, that's it. That's all they're going to need to do. Uh, but it, it's going to be tough to do that against this Michigan State team that has come on so strong the last few weeks between the Big Ten tournament and then also now uh, taking out Virginia and beating that Louisville team that also you know seemed like they were they were playing with new fire. Jason, what do you see uh, from Michigan State? Well, I think one of the most important things that we're going to see is is going to be the matchup between Travis Trice, the senior guard for Michigan State, and Quinn Cook, the senior guard for Duke. Um, both those guys are, uh, to some extent, the, uh, the catalyst that drives their team. And, um, uh, you know, at least from an emotional and from a leadership standpoint, uh, we have seen Quinn Cook do an incredible job. You guys alluded to it earlier, an incredible job of taking the the guard who is the heart of the opposing team and um, and just wrapping him up uh, defensively and and not letting him do the things he does. If, if Quinn Cook is able to do to Travis Trice what he did to Kevin Pangos, what he did to uh, to uh, age of UNC and, and to several other guards this year, Michigan State's going to be in for a long, long night. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be tough for them. Um, the wild card for them is Denzel Valentine, who is capable of doing absolutely incredible things on the floor. Um, it, he is sometimes Superman, um, but he's also sometimes super bad. Uh, Denzel Valentine will make some really, really bad decisions if you let him. And it's going to be really interesting to see what Duke does with him. I think Matt Jones will match up with him. Um, and, and I think he's going to be a, a real uh, – it's going to be tough for Jones, but – I like Jones's chances to to frustrate Denzel Valentine. Um, and Michigan State is always really, really strong on the boards. They send guards to the boards. They always get a tremendous number of rebounds. Uh, and that's going to be an important part of the game. Uh, Brendan Dawson uh, is the forward that does the rebounding for them for the most part. 
And um, I, I imagine we're going to see Justice Winslow matched up with him. Um, you know, Brendan Dawson reminds me a, a little bit of um, uh, Montrez Harrell for for Louisville in terms of being a guy who just has uh, an endless motor and goes really, really hard all the game. Um, and it's going to be a, a tough matchup for Winslow. Um, but, you know, the Final Four is never easy. But, but I think you have to you have to like Duke in this game. Um, I, I agree. I think Michigan State may have a little bit of trouble keeping up with us from a, from a scoring standpoint, unless they're really hitting their threes. They do take a lot of threes. They are a team that likes to shoot from the outside a good bit. Um, uh, but but I, I I would certainly rather be playing Michigan State than playing either Wisconsin or Kentucky. So so I like I like Duke's position and um, uh, you know most of the most of the metrics on teams and the such would say that Michigan State is is pretty clearly the weakest team in this Final Four. So um, no, that's not to say we're going to have an easy game, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and they are a very, very good team, and they're playing their best ball of the season right now. But um, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a fairly decent, fairly good matchup for us. Donald, what about you? So, I, you know, I get to watch Michigan State a lot. You know, I'm from Michigan, and, and even though I grew up a Michigan fan, Michigan State is, is a team that I, you know, tr- traditionally watch a lot of during – basketball season. So one, a couple of notes that I will state other than what you guys have said. One, Travis Trice is that guy that has the ability to shoot the lights out. And then when he shoots the lights out, he gets kind of a big head about himself and will shoot an opponent back into the game by shooting some just ridiculously terrible, uh, making poor decisions uh, with shot selection. Um, so we got to watch out for that. He's going he's gonna to try and score. He's going to want to be the, the catalyst for their scoring. And I think, you know, putting Quinn or Matt Jones, one of those two guys on him, um, Quinn's probably going to want that assignment. And I think Quinn can shut him down, but he's the key. It, when he starts going, uh, going off the rails with, with, with shooting um, some terrible shots, that flows to the rest of their offense and gets them, you know, with their heads down on defense. And that's when we can exploit them. Um, you were mentioning how, you know, that they don't score that many points. The most points they've scored in March is 76. And they did that today in overtime. They did it also against Ohio state in the big 10 tournament. So they, they don't like to score. They don't score a lot of points. They like to try and drag the game down and make it a physical battle. And, but this is something that we've seen over the last couple of games. We've seen it against Utah. We saw it a little bit today against Gonzaga. And we saw it against uh, San Diego State where they tried to slow the game down and make it kind of a, you know, a really, really rugged affair. Um, so I, I think we're ready for that. And, I, you know, having seen that kind of uh, physicality um, that they like to bring uh, back in November, that hasn't changed. They're, you know, the team's, the team's makeup may have changed, but that hasn't changed. Uh, and finally – I was saying that the rebounding um, is traditionally very good. They pride themselves on only allowing one possession for you and not giving you a second chance of, at, a, at a basket. So we need to really knuckle down on, on the boards, both on offense and defense, because that's where they're going to get a lot of their garbage points. They're going to get a lot of second chance points when they're going to try to shoot for that. And, and on defense, they're going to try and limit you to one and done. So uh, we need to be very, very mindful of, of positioning and where they are on the floor um, because those rebounds, when they get the, when they don't get rebounds, that's when they really struggle. Because when you have something that you hang your head on and you can't do that well, that just gives you and puts you in a mood that you can't a funk that you can't get out of. So I think those are the keys uh, to victory. And you know, I think we can do it. Um, but it's definitely going to be a, a very very um, difficult game um, with Michigan State because they they don't like playing 
uh, a very fast, fast game, and we do. So it's going to be another one of those back-and-forth games, hopefully, um, that hey, will hey, in our favor. You know, one quick thing that we should point out about Michigan State, um, they're a terrible free-throw shooting team. They're, they're yes, one of they the are. worst. They, they, they hit like 62, 63% of their free throws, something like that. They're, they're one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the entire country. They're, now, they do have a couple guys who, who are decent, you know, shooting uh, free throws. Um, Denzel Valentine is, is a really good free throw shooter. Um, but, uh, but really, aside from that, they have a lot of guys who, uh, I mean, Brandon Dawson, he, he hits less than 50% of his free throws. Uh, Gavin Schilling, who's one of their, um, uh, you know, one of the big men who, who may match up with Jalil Okafor a little bit, 45% of his free throws. They, they are a bad, bad free throw shooting team. And that sometimes comes back and haunts teams in the in the tournament, um, in the final four. Uh, you know, we've been worried about it all year with Duke, specifically with Jalil. Um, but man, Michigan State, they take it to a whole new level. <laughs> Yes, they do. They're, and they mentioned that during the game today um, that uh, that Michigan State is the, is the worst shooting uh, free throw shooting team that Tom Izzo's ever had. And he's been there 20 years. So um, usually his teams are shooting 77 percent. So they are really, really bad at the free throw line. Um, and that's where we can get a lot of our points back, because like like we said before, we have been hitting our free throws lately. And hopefully that continues. Um, Sam, did you have anything else before we wrapped it up? Yeah, um, Jason, I think, mentioned towards the beginning about, uh, I think it was Jason, it might have been Kyle, uh, about uh, our uh, our improvement in defense and specifically our Ken Palm rating. I actually think that our Ken Palm rating is something like 70 a few weeks ago. And now, as Jason, yeah, it was Jason mentioned that it's now 70. Um, that kind of jump is enormous uh, in, to a degree where you're like, well, maybe we're 17th overall now, uh, you know, according to the whole stretch of, of what we've seen this season. But that means that Duke's even better than that in, in the last few weeks. Uh, so I I really look for, you know, you guys talked about Trice. Um, I I want to see the way that, that Cook and, and the rest of the guards attack him um, and, and force him out of his, his comfort zone. You know, we've seen, we saw Cooks do it today against Pangos. Uh, we saw it, obviously, a few weeks ago against Page. We know that this team is capable of locking up an, an elite uh, lead guard and so I'm, I'm, I want to see, I want to see that happen. I want to see the defense playing, uh, the way they've been playing the last few weeks and limiting, limiting these, these good offensive teams to significantly below, you know, what their normal output is on the offensive end. Uh, I think that's going to be key for us, and, and I hope that it, that uh, that it comes to pass that we that we're able to take out that Michigan State team. Yeah, that's it's it's going to be. A really good battle, and I'm I'm actually looking forward to it. Uh, I'm already getting the trash talk from my friends, from a lot of friends back home. So hopefully, I can be the one standing tall on Saturday night, and hopefully, we all will be playing on Monday. Uh, but like you know, just like last week, just like this game, um, we will be coming to you sometime after the game on Saturday. Uh, we haven't decided when, but uh, uh, for those of you out there who are itching for a podcast after the game, win or lose, we will be we will deliver it to you somehow, um, and we will we'll figure that out later on in the week. Let's read. Let's, let's. Oh, um, wait. I was going to say, I was going to say, for anybody who's, who's talking about, if, if there are Duke fans out there who are talking about, you know, oh, we already beat the Michigan State team. That game happened in November. Sheet School Mom was still on the team. Uh, this Duke team is totally different than the Duke team that played Michigan State earlier in the year. And uh, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be relying on any of that for, you know, what we think we're going to see in this game. I think that, that both of these coaches are smart enough to know that it's not, it's not going to look the same as it did in November. Amen. I, just, I, I, I barely remember. That, I barely remember that game. I don't. I, yeah. I don't think I could. 
Uh, other than the fact that we won, I don't think I remember anything about that game. <laughs> That's probably because I'm old and losing my memory. But um, but I, I bet the players feel the it same was, way. They're, it, they're it, been... it was also, I think, it was before we were doing this project. Um, so so I don't know about you guys, but I, I probably wasn't wasn't thinking as much after the games about about how we played because I didn't have to I didn't have to come on and tell you about it. Yeah, that's, hey, a, that's a good point. Um, but we're just trying to go one and zero on Saturday. That's all I really care. That's about. right. Yeah. Uh, so let's re let's uh, wrap this up with our player of the game. Um, as Jason hinted, we might have three different players, and and that's going to be quite all right. But I'm going to start with you, Jason. Who is your player of the game? Well, um, sorely, sorely tempted to go with Matt Jones, who, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to pick as player of the week yet this season and who had an incredible, incredible game. But I'm taking Justice Winslow because the, the guy personally lifted us onto his back and won the game in the final five minutes. Um, I talked earlier about his uh, his sailor seven nothing run. It was 53 to 51. And when justice was all done, it was 60 to 51 and the game was all but over. And um, I, I thought his D was spectacular. He was a force of nature at both ends of the floor many times. Um, the rebound, you know, they ended up deciding that, that the ball got knocked out off of his off of his uh, his thigh. But the effort he put into that rebound with about two minutes to go or so. And um, Jalil went up with a shot just as the shot clock was was. Um, expiring and Justice pushed um, Karnowski or Sabonis, one of the two of them, he pushed them completely out of the way so that he could get to the ball. Now, um, Kevin Pangos ended up tipping it off of Justice's thigh, so I don't think he officially got a rebound there. But I mean, oh my goodness, what effort he put in um, and to do it at home when I was out here predicting, I'm sure Justice listens to the podcast and he heard me predicting that he might have a struggling weekend um, and instead he did the exact opposite. Um, uh, so I went with Justice Winslow. Uh, what a what a fabulous, wonderful game he had in front of probably fifty friends or more. <laughs> Way to go, big guy! All right, um, Jason. Jason took the one text, and I'll take the other. Uh, I am going to go with Matt Jones. Uh, you know, I, I alluded to the to the Andre Dawkins comparison uh, at the beginning, and I'm sticking with it for that. I think that Andre was the was the, the key to that game against Baylor in 2010. I'm going with Matt Jones, the key to the game. Uh, today against Gonzaga in this, in this Elite Eight game. Um, made a lot of big shots. You know, I think that one of the things that's been frustrating for Matt Jones this year is that he'll take like one or two threes towards the beginning of the game, and if he doesn't make them, then it feels like he's not confident at all on offense. Today, uh, he missed a couple shots, but he but he made a lot of them. He felt like he was in the flow. He uh, I think he had a couple of assists that were nice. Um, so it was it was big to see his energy. And, you know, as, as he comes up, you know, we we talked last few weeks about how much better Grayson Allen's been playing. Grayson Allen didn't even have to play today um, because we had Matt Jones out there making making those big plays that that you know a starting wing is is, is capable of making um, for a team that's going to the Final Four. So I'll take Matt Jones. I don't know if he's he's from Houston or from somewhere near Houston, um, but I know he's from Texas. So I would imagine that he also had a large uh, contingent of family and friends who were who were in attendance. And, Matt Jones uh, is from Dallas. He's from Dallas. Okay. So, what, three hours away? Yeah, it's about um, four hours away. Four hours away. Uh, I've done that drive once in the middle of the night. It's horrible. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm sure that I'm sure that Matt Jones um, I guess I had a lot of family and friends there. Uh, I'm sure that he had a lot of support. And, you know, Winslow probably had a lot of the pressure. There were, there were probably more people trying to go. Um, but you could probably say the same thing about Matt Jones and, the, and the, maybe the stress that he was under this week. And he responded great today uh, in the biggest game so far of his career. 
so my player of the game is uh, is going to match up. I think for the first time for any of us uh, this season, uh, a great performance by him. Yeah, those are those are two great picks. Uh, I went with basically I I just said you know what screw it I'm going with a more sentimental pick. Um, those two probably would have been my players of the week as far as stats go, but my player of the week is Quinn Cook. Um, the, the kid finally got to hoist a trophy. He finally got to experience cutting down a net um, in a major game, and he's going to a Final Four for the first time in his career. The man is a leader. I, I, he's he's grown in front of our eyes. He's had probably, like, as you said, one of the best senior years. I won't even say breakout, but one of the best senior years that you could ask for from a Duke player. And uh, for those reasons alone, he had, you know, he had very decent games in, in, in against um, Utah and he had a good game today, but just for the fact that his leadership has carried us all year, his play has carried us all year. And he finally got the, to hoist the trophy uh, that uh, a trophy. And it's not the, it's not the trophy that he's shooting for. He's, he's going for one more in Indianapolis, but my, my player of the week is going to be Quinn cook. And you, you know, you, you, you talked about getting a net. Um, Sam, I know you were in the car, so you didn't get to see it. Donald and I saw it. The post-game press conference with Quinn Cook. Oh, I, I, I did get to see it. So, yeah, keep going, though. <laughs> uh, the post-game press conference with Quinn Cook with the net around his his neck uh, was just such a great image. And, by the way, I love the fact that the other guys, Matt Jones and Tyus Jones, were the other guys in the, in the post-game press conference. They all had hats with little pieces of net tied to the hat. Um, at one of my sons was watching it and he said, what do they end up doing with that, with that hat, you know, with that piece of netting? And I said, they keep it forever. Yep. And, and, and Quinn had one too in his hat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but like to me, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but when my son asked the question, they keep it forever. That's what these guys won today. Today, they won a little piece of forever. That's a pretty special thing. And it's a, and, and as you mentioned, it's, it's the first time that Quinn's won a banner. Um, so now he's got something that he can point to every time he comes back to Cameron. That you know, even if even if things don't go well next weekend, he made it to a Final Four. Uh, his banner gets to hang next to uh, the 2010 Final Four banner, uh, and and that's it. You know, the other guys on the team are all are all part of this. Um, but you know, Quinn is like the senior emotional leader for the team. Uh, that's his banner that now gets to go into the Raptors Cameron. Yeah, the- you know, by the way. You guys have been talking about, you know, him making the leap his senior year um, and, and that no one really expected he'd play this well. Um, and I think one of you mentioned um, Brian Zubek. I actually think the the better comparison, and not in terms of the style of play, but in terms of a guy who is a really a good contributor for his first three seasons, and then suddenly as a senior you went, whoa, this is a absolute revelation, um, was Chris Carrawell. Who, who was a, a, a complimentary player for three years and then suddenly sort of found himself as the only, um, uh, you know, real stabilizing force. Um, well, he and Nate James, but Chris Carrawell was ACC player of the year as a senior. And uh, boy, I'm telling you, at the end of his junior year, if you told me that was going to happen, I would have thought you'd gone absolutely crazy. Um, uh, and I think Quinn Cook had that kind of a senior year where, yeah, good player, but then turned into all-American caliber player as a senior, and no one really saw it coming at all. Yeah, and, and you know what? The the Final Four is the greatest show in college basketball, and I'm really glad that Quinn Cook gets to finally live the show. He's going to be a part of it, and all our players are. So it's going to be great. I hope throughout it all, no matter what happens, they just enjoy the moment and enjoy 
enjoyed it with with each other because they definitely after the year that they've been through after what they've given us uh all year in terms of uh of terms of play they deserve to be in indianapolis and and so do the other four teams so it should be a really good final four ladies and gentlemen again our game will be on on saturday at 609 eastern with the wisconsin kentucky game following up afterwards at approximately 839 uh is the scheduled time at this point so i think we can wrap it up now and actually no wait 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 don't wrap uh it up yet Okay, so two other things I wanted to mention. One is a friend of mine just a couple minutes ago sent me a tweet from Tar Heel blog um, where someone said, can a Duke-Kentucky final count as one of UNC's NCAA sanctions? I thought that was a really funny tweet. <laughs> because what, a, what a nightmare for them. Um, also, some uh, another friend of mine pointed out that if Duke and Kentucky play in the final, you know, while all of us Duke fans will be really excited, the poor Kentucky fans. Can you imagine what will happen to the state of Kentucky if Duke beats them in the final and ends their quest for a perfect season? Um, they will feel like Christian Leitner has stomped on their chests again. Um, I think the entire state will have a heart attack or implode or something horrible like that. Uh, I don't want to predict the winner of either of those games, but if it works out that way and if we manage to beat Kentucky, I don't think that state will ever recover. They still hate us. For 1992, I don't know. It, it just, oh, too much. And then the last thing, I'm telling you, I know one thing. I know one place where everyone is rooting for Duke right now in Las Vegas because the Vegas casinos all took a lot of bets over the summer and early in the season on Kentucky going undefeated at odds like 30, 40, 50, 70 to 1. And there have been a lot of reports over the past couple of weeks that Vegas is primed for a six, seven digit loss if Kentucky goes undefeated. Um, uh, uh, the, the, the bookmakers in Las Vegas um, are terrified that they're about to lose one of the biggest prop bets that they've ever had in college basketball on Kentucky going potentially undefeated. Uh, boy, I sure as hell hope they don't um, have to pay that money. I hope they get every penny of it. Okay, I'm done. I think that's I had, really low. Like, yeah, that's no, it's going to be an enormous. It's an enormous amount of money that they're going to lose. What were you going to say, Donald? I was going to say the 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 uh, the free throw from Quinn to make the victory six uh, six points against Utah was a million dollar change in hands in Vegas. So I think you, you, it seems like you, that would be like in the eight you know, eight digits, maybe nine, because of how you, many bets were probably laid on that. You know what I think? You're, uh, what I had seen was one sportsbook, William Hill sportsbook. I apologize. William Hill was due to take a six or seven digit loss on a, and that's just one of the smaller sports books. I apologize. Right. I think you're absolutely right. My bet is it's an eight figure. My bet is it's in excess of ten million dollars. Oh, right. I, I I agree with that too. Go ahead, Sam. Um, I uh, I had sort of a quirky thing that I was going to add, uh, which was that actually no, there were two quirky things. One, we've neglected to mention when talking about the Gonzaga game. Uh, that Adam Morrison is now sporting. I believe it's called a man bun. Um, do you guys have any comment about Adam Morrison's hair? Yes. He looked like Terry Silver from Karate Kid Part 3. And I told, I said that to my friends. Uh, if, you, if you've seen Karate Kid Part 3, Terry Silver is the dude that takes Daniel Lusa and, and trains him uh, for the fight, but he's not Miyagi. He was the guy that was basically working for, for the Cobra Kais uh, secretly by training him to be a badass. Um, but yeah, he, when I saw that, I was like, that is Terry Silver coming back to haunt us once again. Uh, but this ain't Karate Kid part four. This was Duke and Zaga. 
So uh, yeah. here's what I'll say about Adam Morrison. I will not pick on the man anymore because the poor guy. Oh, you're about to, you're about to. Oh, go ahead. First of all, he cried when they lost um, in the NCAA tournament senior, and it was sort of really nationally paid attention to what a baby he was crying um, that much. And then the dude went to the NBA and sucked. Um, even though everyone said he was going to be great, he's he's really he's one of the biggest busts. Uh, I mean, the 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 lottery's full of of busts, but Adam Morrison is way up there on the bust um, uh, list. Um, so I'm not going to pick on him anymore. I can't do that. Good God, his hair was awful. <laughs> yeah, he did recover. He did recover for himself well. Uh, apparently, after the game, I saw that a number of people noted this on Twitter uh, that apparently some Duke fan yelled at him that still better or something like that as they were walking off the floor and Adam Morrison turned to that fan uh, and said, yeah, but I can still shoot better than you. Um, so uh, he looked terrible. His, his career ultimately didn't turn out that well, um, but he's still, he's still witty, I guess. Uh, so he's got that going for him. And I think I remember from back in 06 that, that he and JJ Redick were friends anyway. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is that I'm currently writing a streak of recording the podcast in different states. Uh, every week. Uh, two weeks ago, I recorded it from the state of Utah. Last week, I was back in Colorado. On Friday night, I was in Phoenix, and I was thinking, uh, oh, man, I'm going to be in Arizona again. But technically, I recorded a good portion of this podcast um, from the Navajo Reservation that is in uh, eastern Arizona. So I am continuing my streak of, of recording the podcast in distinct uh, municipalities, because I think that Navajo Nation, they have they have all their own they all have laws and stuff. Um, so I'm continuing next week. Next week, I'm also recording in a different state. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll keep that, that, uh, that streak alive. That's awesome. Uh, and, and you guys, <laughs> you guys, uh, actually reminded me of one thing I did want to point out. We haven't talked about them a lot, um, on the podcast, but I did want to give a shout out to the Duke women who did go to the sweet 16. They, they unfortunately lost last night, uh, to Maryland, uh, who was the one seed, the women were the four, but, uh, with the season they've had, they've had a lot of injuries, had a lot of ups and downs. I think it was great, uh, a great season for them to make it to the Sweet 16. Uh, hopefully we, we get a lot of our players back who were injured. Um, and I believe we lose Elizabeth Williams, who's going to be a major, major, um, major loss uh, for our program. And she's been great, a four-time All-American. But I wanted to give them some love because we haven't shown them that much love in the podcast. Um, and, and, they, and they deserve it just as much as the men do. But congratulations on a great season, ladies. Yeah, yes. nice, uh, that's good, good, good pull on that one, Donald. Yeah, so I think now we can wrap it up. Um, for all of us here at Duke Basketball Report Podcast, Sam Klein reporting live from the Navajo Reservation, uh, Jason Evans, who's reporting from Atlanta, and your, and your host, Donald Wine. I am in the nation's capital this week. Go Devils, and let the Duke basketball, or let the Duke band actually, play us all the way to Indianapolis. Indianapolis.